Welcome to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Now, the name of our program might be a bit unconventional, but for that better, so is our approach. We'll discuss traditional and alternative practices and therapies designed to improve and maintain the health of your best friends, your pets. With the ideas discussed on the show today, your pets could live longer and healthier lives. Now, here is Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Hi, I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center located in McHenry, Illinois, so the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Uh, we'd love to see you out here sometime at our Healthy Pet Lifestyle Campus. Um, we've got a lot of fun things going on here for dogs and cats. And um, today we're going to play a little bit of trivia with our live audience. So it's uh, got some good answers. Uh, today we're going to do dog trivia. Next week we'll do cat trivia. Mm-hmm. But um, we do have our first trivia question today. Dogs have about how many vocal sounds? So dogs have blank vocal sounds. So let us know what you think. Do you even know? Don't cheat. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't mean, know I never really thought about that. <laughs> I never did either. I thought that was a good one. So uh, we got about uh, 10 of those to go through today. So that's kind of fun. We also have a lot of questions today from our listeners. And we can take questions live here too. Um, so we're on Facebook Live. And the Facebook group is Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. You can join that group or you can join us at Riverside Animal Clinic, which is also on Facebook and Holistic Center, by the way, when that's also on Facebook. So uh, we're live there in both places. Um, Today, we're going to talk a little bit also about what causes grape toxicity in dogs. And they have this new breakthrough because somebody made homemade Play-Doh. And their dog actually got a hold of it. And it wasn't a good situation. Now, what does homemade Play-Doh have to do with grape toxicity? Very interesting link that they put together on this. So, um, you know, we'll talk about what the cause of that was. Also, uh, we have a question from Kathleen today about how long can a tick stay embedded in a dog or cat? Do they eventually die? How does that work? What if you leave the head in? We're going to talk a little bit about tick removal. We always offer free tick removal here just because it's such like a complicated thing and ticks are yucky. Mm -hmm. So they also need to be identified. Right, right. It's best to send that tick out to the uh, public health department so we can find out what exactly it is. Okay. So um, deer ticks being the most major concern, but other ticks carry diseases as well. They do. Rocky Mountain spotted feeder, anaplasmosis. These are uh, more common ones. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. And Ehrlichia. Or Licky, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then um, also Jordan wants to know about her puppy's food. Jordan's actually a client here, and she had some questions about um, what kind of food her dog is going to be on. Um, we had a, an interesting call from a client the other day who, uh, she's new, she's got a new puppy, and wants to know, first of all, when should it be weaned? Okay, the breeder might wean it a little bit early, but probably not until eight weeks. Then had a whole lot of questions about different, um, you know, things to do with vaccines and, you know, when should it be examined and when should I um, do this and that? What dog food should I get? So we're going to go just a little bit over like general puppy care. And we're going to talk a lot more about vaccines, titer testing. And, um, you know, if your pet should be vaccinated at all, a lot of people don't know. A lot of people say no. So uh, we'll look just a little bit about that. Not too controversial, I think, today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll stay out of a little bit of the V word today. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> we'll talk about it, but we're not going to get too invested. So, <laughs> okay. So uh, first of all, uh, when to wean puppies? 
what's a good time? Like we have bred our Persian cats before. And to me, I always just let the mom decide mm-hmm. when would be a good time. Usually she's running away from them and growling at them when they came near her. And you're like, okay, <laughs> she's mm-hmm. done. It's over. She's trying to, you know, and she might like let them nurse once at night and then be done with it. Uh, but the weaning process took maybe a few days or a week. Yeah. And that usually happened for her around eight to nine weeks. Right. And you want to, you, you want to let the mother do the weaning, let her do most of the work because the best time to allow them to fully wean is 12 weeks, mm-hmm. but most breeders don't want to keep them in the house that long. They want to get them to their new homes. And, uh, and I just talked to a breeder the other day and they say that the new owners are just They're dying, to have, dying to have the puppies. <laughs> so they can't wait. They can't wait that extra time. But that 12 week window is often the best time because the mother dog initially transfers immunity and helps with growth and development, obviously. So around eight weeks, they're fully weanable. But at the same time, that extra four weeks, if you want that extra bonus for domestication and good behavior, mm-hmm. let mom do it another month. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Those are the best balanced pups and kitties. Well, what, what are the signs of an early weaned animal? Well, before eight weeks, if we talk about cats, the the suckling of the cloth, you know, suckling on your clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a cat uh, like we had a cat like that. Uh, overly aggressive behavior, uh, vocalization, uh, uh, lots of hair pulling. Those are things that we'll see with early wing kitties, puppies. The same you mean thing through their adulthood and everything. Through the adulthood, yeah, it sticks with them. And the reason is, is is a process called imprinting. So you'll see it much worse in orphaned uh, babies. Um, and if we take the uh, both kitties and puppies, often are orphaned uh, and they have to be you know milk fed. Mm-hmm. But the person doing the feeding, they imprint with that person, you see. So if they're imprinting as a human, then they're not getting the full data about being a dog or being a kitten. And uh, surprisingly, baby llamas cannot be orphaned. They have to be on a llama. Otherwise, they're very deadly. Really? Yeah. Why? Because of the imprinting process. They, if they're imprinted as a human, they get very vicious against humans. Oh, really? Right. Because they, they're kind of vicious amongst themselves. It's a herd animal, but they don't allow a lot of others into the herd. Oh, you see? So. Yeah. So uh, we don't want them imprinting as a human. We want them imprinting as their own species. Yeah. Okay. So, so 12 weeks is best, eight weeks minimum, six weeks you're pushing it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're really pushing yeah. it before eight weeks. Like none of our kittens were ready to go at six weeks. No. Not at all. And then, you know, Kimmy just handled everything. Mm-hmm. So you could tell when she was finished. And, you know, she'd come out and maybe play with them a little bit after eight weeks. Yeah. And then it was like, mm, okay, I'm done, you know. Yeah. The last time she had kittens, she was completely done with it. She's like, forget it. <laughs> right. And they can get a little supplemental milk, which is good. And on top of their, when they start eating kitty or puppy food, uh, then they're really ready to go. You know, they're, they, they're eating they're, solid food. Yeah. Their GI tract had a chance to transition. Mother cat or mother dog is weaned them off. So they're now they're eating full time. And then they go to their new home and you're going to see a lot less behavior problems. You're going to have a lot mm-hmm. less digestive issues possibly less allergy issues because you've let that oh. immunity take its full course. And if they stay on the mom for the full 12 weeks, you don't have to vaccinate until they're 12 weeks old. You don't oh. have to start your vaccines because mom is, she's been vaccinated. So make sure the mother dog is well vaccinated. She's passing on that 
immunity to them. Really? Okay. So hmm. um, you, you, we talk about minimal vaccination, you know, that's one way to do it. And it's all natural. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So um, you have the vaccines, but how do you know when to start feeding them normal kitty food? Well, this process can start once, obviously, their eyes are open and about four weeks to five weeks, they start nosing around what mom's eating. So like for cats, for example, you use a mother kitten formula. So uh, when mom's overeating her food, then they'll start to get curious and they'll say, okay, what is that? I need to, to take a look at that. And then they'll start eating the cereal. The, um, and usually about six weeks, they're much more on solid food, less milk. By eight weeks, they're pretty much on all solid food. If the mother's still there, then they're nursing a bit to to supplement just because Mm -hmm. they want to. And mom's kind of teaching them how to be a domestic dog or or domestic cat. And, uh, but really by eight weeks, they're pretty much on solid puppy or kitty food. Okay. All right. So we have a question from our live feed right now. My lab rescue will suck on a blanket and move her paw when uh, she seems frustrated. She was in a shelter foster home before. Yeah. So that would be an early wean situation. So either these uh, kittens were fostered and milk fed. It's a um, puppy. Or a puppy. A I'm lab sorry. rescue. Lab rescue. Okay. I missed that part. <laughs> so it, there again, if you, if you start before eight weeks of age, and I'm assuming this happens is if they start suckling on cloth, if they, if they start uh, uh, having more behavior issues young on, especially if they're more fearful um, then that can be one reason that's early weaning. Okay. All right. So um, now the vaccine thing, everyone has a different opinion on. Okay. So we're just going to tell you like what we do here and why we do it. Um, some people say you never have to vaccinate at all. You know, I mean, we all know there are a hundred different opinions on vaccines, probably more than that, actually, if I really thought about it. Um, so should your pet be vaccinated in the first place? The, they should have their puppy and kittenhood vaccinations um, because we're still worried about distemper, which we're going to talk about uh, kennel cough and kennel cough complex here a little bit later. And uh, also um, for parvovirus, which is still a very real problem. And uh, so, yes, they should have their vaccinations. The when part is the most important, and that can be variable. Okay. And um, so, as I mentioned, if they're, you could start, if they've been on the mother till 12 weeks, you could start your vaccine protocol roughly at 12 weeks and it's spaced about three weeks apart. So 12 weeks and then roughly 15 to 16 weeks for boosters. Um, If they're weaned early, a lot of the breeders still vaccinate at six weeks. and in anticipation that these pups are going to go to their new homes early. But eight weeks, I like to do eight weeks minimum if we're going to start them. And that first vaccination, they're again three to four weeks later. So at least two distempers, two kennel coughs, they get their rabies at six months. And then we talk about lifestyle, these non-core vaccinations. I, I consider Bordetella a core vaccine, although in some, you know, some veterinarians will say, well, those are non-core because it's lifestyle. But lifestyle also talk about influenza vaccination, lepto vaccination, Lyme vaccination. Uh, these are non-core vaccines that should be discussed with your veterinarian as far as geographic area, what the, the pets are most susceptible to. 
Um, and, um, and kitties on the other side, distemper. Um, you can consider leukemia, although leukemia does have some side effects we have to be careful of. The vaccine has side effects? Right, for uh, vaccine-associated sarcomas. Oh. So uh, the location we give the vaccine. We don't do that. We actually don't use that one very often. We don't. We do two distempers and then the rabies shot at six months. Okay. Okay. So um, this is interesting because some of the non-core vaccines, something that I, you know, we don't need around here is the Western Diamondback Rattlesnake vaccine. Mm -hmm. But I suppose if you're walking your puppy and you live in Arizona or something, that's probably a good idea. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Para-influenza virus or canine influenza. Yeah, the parainfluenza is considered the uh, in the distemper vaccination. So you got distemper, you got parvo, parainfluenza, and hepatitis. Okay. It's in combination. Now, are these shots good for life? Well, a lot of people think so. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like people saying, um, you know, oh, my daughter had a titer and it was fine. But that doesn't mean it's forever. And it's not for every dog because we've done so many titers here that I can totally tell you they don't all come back positive. You want them positive so you don't have to revaccinate. Right. And even the, you know, they came out with three-year vaccinations, but even um, the, uh, the AVMA and also AHA, I believe that um, said that even a standard vaccination, you're going to get at least three years out of that vaccine. So, uh, but the best way to find out, because the one thing we don't know as puppies, when they were vaccinated, did the maternal antibody block the immunity? Because it will. And so that's why we often extend into that that 12 week, uh, even up to that 15th week to be sure that we're not blocking some of that protection. What do you mean? Like, can you explain that a little more? Well, the mother dog has her her uh, protection that she received from vaccination. Okay. Uh, and she can transfer that to the puppies in the classroom. Okay. okay? And so, um, we don't know when that goes away, but often they say around 12 weeks. Okay. If they, if mother dog wasn't as immuno uh, savvy, if you will, then those puppies may not have received all their mm-hmm. immunity from her. Okay. So that's why we we overlap. We start at eight weeks. We do it at 12 weeks, uh, even that 15th week um, to get those shots in to be sure. But if we just do two shots or we do three shots, the best thing is to titer afterwards. About six to eight weeks later is the earliest that you could titer to see, do we have adequate protection against those vaccines? And if we do, that's about a three-year coverage. So we have a question from Jen from our live feed right now. Why aren't there more titer tests available for rabies or like for rabies? So I would assume just altogether, why aren't there more titer tests? So is it, Jen, is it, um, you mean like for cost-wise or... Um, just curious, uh, just trying to expand that question a little bit. Um, you know, cost-wise, some of the titer tests can be pretty expensive. Yeah. They are, depending on, you know, like we have a new lab now, and our new lab is less expensive than the old lab by far. Mm-hmm. So that's really helped a lot of owners come into the titer testing. Right. And the there's only one place you really test for rabies, and that's Kansas State University. And that's where a lot of the titers go. Um, but the problem with rabies is that it's not recognized in the United States as being coverage for vaccination. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you're just curious, did they have proper titering, make sure they're fully protected against rabies, uh, then you can run the titer on for rabies. 
but it doesn't get, it, it's not a replacement for vaccination. So either we have to have a vaccine risk assessment exemption for that pet because they're either ill or they've had vaccine reactions or we have to vaccinate. And, um, but titering gives you personal information. Now, mm-hmm. distemper and parvo, you can titer for that. And a lot of places, um, especially boarding kennels and places like that, will honor that titer as being protection. Okay, but you gotta call ahead and find out if those individual uh, broomers and boarding kennels mm-hmm. and things like that, training centers will allow that. Are you gonna accept it or not? Right. Um, I found like a lot of government agencies are just not going to accept that. No, because the titer test is really, I think you explained it to me like this. It's a measure of what's happening at that point in time in that dog's body. Could it change tomorrow? It could, right? It's possible because the titers can be either increasing or decreasing or staying the same. Okay. But over time, the titers uh, generally decrease and the protection gets less and less. Now there's some exceptions. Um, um, there, there are pets that, say a dog, for example, that ha- carries a titer for 10 plus years, but they're testing every third year to be sure that that titer is still adequate. Mm-hmm. It's really lifestyle because if you're going to take them to places where those diseases are, yeah. then you have to be sure that they have good titers and they have good protection because you don't know. Mm-hmm. You can't say that, okay, they've had their vaccine, they must be protected. That doesn't mean they are. You have to know for sure. Unfortunately, um, you know, we can test for lepto to be sure um, they've got good lepto titers from their vaccination. Mm-hmm. Uh, influenza, we can't. Um, Bordetella, we can swab um, the throat and see if they've, uh, uh, in, in terms of disease, if they've got kennel cough complex or they've mm-hmm. got mycoplasma. Uh, at least in my opinion, if they get the disease itself, they become immunized against that uh-huh. later on because I haven't seen any repeats through the years. Mm. You know, once the dogs got kennel cough yeah. on their babies, they don't seem to get it again. Hmm. But um, Lyme is the exception we talked about last week is that you do not get long-term protection if you actually got the Lyme disease. Oh, really? Right. All right. So, so not every disease you're vaccinating for is going to have a titer at this point. Right. You think they will eventually? Probably not with Lyme, but these other ones, um, it kind of depends. If it's testing becomes easier and more available, um, hopefully it will come out as just a quick snap test like heartworm mm-hmm. where you can find out for sure. And, and have so that a, would be a lot easier. Right. Like if we want to do it in-house, um, the titer testing is we can only, well, we can't do rabies. That has to be sent out. And then you can do a distemper parvo titer test in-house, but it's so complicated. It's like this, okay, it's like this big, okay. It's like the size of a credit card with all like 40 different wells on it. And every well has to have this like fluid in it. And then, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's a lot of work. So it's easier just to send it out to be, you know, totally on the up and up. It is. It's a hard one to do. It's a hard one to do yeah. in, in clinic until it becomes, you know, easier if, with snap tests or something that's, mm-hmm. that'd be that's, great. It's easier to figure out. Yeah. That'd be great. It would also lower the cost of it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so the answer to our first trivia question, dogs have about 10 different vocal sounds. So it's kind of interesting to see. <laughs> I'm going to have to start counting on all of our dogs. Chorky snores. I'm not sure if that one counts. Yeah, I don't but know. She's been snoring here. I'm sure you can pick it up on the microphone. Yeah, she's, <laughs> <laughs> she's snoring now. All right, so next question. Uh, there are more than blank different breeds of dogs worldwide. How many breeds of dogs worldwide are there? So just let us know what you think about that. Um, we'll talk about that coming up in a bit. You can uh, join us on our live feed. Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson is the group. And we're also live at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center on Facebook as well. So, um, what causes grape toxicity in dogs from the American Animal Hospital Association? And I actually read this somewhere else as well. Turns out they figured it out. Um, it's not just the fact that it's grapes or the grape skin or anything like that. It's actually tartaric acid. And the reason they found out is because somebody made homemade Play-Doh and some dog ate it and some dog got grape toxicity through the homemade Play-Doh. And the culprit was actually cream of tartar. So I used to make a ton of homemade Play-Doh and uh, I used to play with it all the time. I never really thought about the dog getting to it, but if they do, it's a cream of tartar inside of it. And that's uh, the tartaric acid. And that's the problem. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Probably so, be more concentrated, you know, because. Because it's a powder, right. like the cream of tartar. Sort of like garlic, you know, powdered garlic is, is many times more potent than just a one clove. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. What are the uh, signs of grape toxicity? Well, it would be, uh, it affects the kidneys. So it's, you're going to have loss of appetite. Um, you're going to have maybe increase in thirst and urination, nausea, um, dehydration. And uh, when we do blood draws on these guys, you usually see an increase in BUN, which is blood urea nitrogen. Mm -hmm. It's a way of getting rid of urea toxin out of the body and uh, the kidneys do that. So it usually would be a rise in, in that number along with the creatinine, which mm -hmm. is how much blood flow goes to the kidney. Okay. So I've had a lot of, I mean, alarmed owners over the years call in and say, my dog ate one single grape. What do I do? Well, Depending on the size, uh, if it's a very, very small dog, that could be a significant amount. But if it's a, a, a mastiff, it's probably not going to cause any trouble at all. Most of the time, it won't cause any problems at all. It's just repeated, um, you know, if they got into they a box a of raisins. Of, oh, a bunch of raisins, yeah. You know, or currants. Currants also count in that as right. well. And um, I mean, we've had dogs eat an, a bag of grapes because they loved them so much. So obviously you need a trip to the ER for something like that. Do you induce vomiting for that? If it's been within two hours, then you can induce vomiting to get rid of what's in their stomach. If it's been over two hours, it's probably moved its way through. And um, you know, then you'd have to start treating everything else. Mm -hmm. Okay. We just... Uh, Basically, over time, if you catch it early enough and you start just flushing their mm -hmm. system, uh, they'll survive, you know, and then usually doesn't lead to permanent kidney damage. Mm. Um, it's kind of scary. Yeah. It's a problem if it's, if it's already established itself and the kidneys are, are damaged, then there can be some, uh, you know, you can still recover, but they might have long-term kidney problems. So um, the best treatment is prevention through just... You know, if you have grapes, um, make sure they're up and away from the pets. Um, if you have little boxes of raisins, hey, the kids are eating raisins, make sure that 
uh, clean that up. picked up because the dogs will eat it. says also that tamarinds, it's a tree that bears fruit that's used in both medicine and cooking, also contain high amounts of tartaric acid, potassium bitartrate, and the APCC has suggested, has had reports of severe vomiting and acute renal failure following large ingestions. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what a tamarind is, but I guess I'll have to look that up. <laughs> Yeah, they, and a lot of the cooking products, like I said, are pretty concentrated. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, once they get into the cookies or the pies and things like that, you know, Play-Doh, or the, um, you know, then it can cause some problems for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so keep the Play-Doh away. Tartar, cream of tartar. Okay. So one more question. If you're cooking something else and using cream of tartar, because I've used it in some stuff. I just don't remember what, like maybe like Divinity or candy or, you know, some kind of thing like that. If you're using cream of tartar, just they shouldn't eat anything associated with that. Right. Okay. So if you made candy and it had that in it, or you had to use it for some other reason, I don't think you use it that much, but once in a while it shows up in a recipe. That means I always have to go buy a new one because I use it enough to make it, to make it like that. So pets are naturally curious. So they're always going to take a look at what, what you're eating and what you're cooking. I mean, you gave the horse the other day a marshmallow. I think <laughs> he likes marshmallows. So oh, he yeah. loves marshmallows. <laughs> I'm going to have to name him marshmallow. He yeah. loves them. But I suppose I should probably check the ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, marshmallows are pretty safe. I mean, it's... I hope so. Across the board, you know, I just want to... He's cute. He's white. He looks like a marshmallow. And he's chubby. So he's a good boy. Well, he's a terrible boy, but (laughs) we're working on it, right? Okay, so turns out um, there are more than 350 different breeds of dogs worldwide. And uh, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know how many breeds like the DNA tests do uh, take into account, but I've seen some dog breeds um, in here lately, mixed breeds, you know, because the dogs are coming from all different places now. They're not mm-hmm. so available to shelters and stuff like that. Like they used to be when we had no spaying and neutering. Now the dogs have to come from other places where there are too many dogs because there's, you know, a shortage here. So they're bringing them in from, you know, Aruba, from China sometimes, uh, from, you know, all kinds of different places, even just the dogs from like Kentucky, some of them coming in from Oklahoma and they're breeds that I've never even really heard of. Mm-hmm. And you got to look them up and you're like, oh yeah, that is that kind of dog. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. There's so many different ones and, you know, from the very tiny little dogs to these big giant dogs. Identification is a bit of a challenge for everyone now, since the dogs are coming from all over the place. So good, good trivia too. When we, uh, what was the most that someone paid for a dog? Ever? Ever. Yeah. We mean like a show dog or something? Mm-hmm. Any dog. I don't know. Twenty-five thousand dollars? No, it was uh, over a million dollars. Why? And it was. Um, I, I have to look the breed up because it was right on the tip of my tongue. But it's one of the <laughs> largest breeds. It's a Chinese breed. Um, it's almost uh, like a giant Chow. And I have to look oh, up the, really? the breed name again. But uh, the guy, um, he was uh, from China. He paid over a million dollars for this dog. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow, that's pretty cool. All right. So um, our dog's colorblind. We're going to talk about that coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, let us know your response to that question uh, here live. And then uh, we're going to get to some of the questions we've had on our Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson group on Facebook. Uh, you can join that group. We'll help you out if you have a question. And then um, also 
just, you know, keep you posted on what uh, all is going on with the animals, provide some extra content for you. Okay, we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Get ready to go inside the lives of some of the top recording artists the music industry has known. Join host Troy Bronstein every week as he becomes a prince among queens. Troy discusses the careers and past, present, and future projects from these artists. And if there's time on each show, you just might hear some performance gems as well. Listen for Prince Among Queens every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. What are the labels that identify us? Who are we? And how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by dropping in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to holisticvetadvice at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Thanks for joining us again. I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. We're at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center in McHenry, Illinois. We're now located at the Healthy Pet Lifestyle Campus uh, near Chicago. So um, we asked a couple of questions before the break. Contrary to popular belief, dogs aren't colorblind. They can see shades of blue, green, yellow, and gray. And the color red registers on a gray scale in the dog's vision. I didn't know that. It's interesting, and they had that uh, border collie that they, uh, you know, had a bunch of different colored balls, and said, "Go get the blue ball." Oh, really? Go and get he knew? the red ball, and go get the yellow Aww. ball, and he knew. Well, but that's like teaching a five-year-old how to yeah. go find something. They're so smart. They are the smartest dogs. We have one. She's just incredible. I think colors have frequency, you know, that maybe they pick up mm-hmm. on as well. Mm-hmm. That's just my theory, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah. 
Okay, well, you're that kind of guy, yeah. so you've got your theories. I found the breed. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, the guy that paid over a million dollars, a Tibetan Mastiff. If you've ever seen one of these dogs, it's the largest dog breed in the world. These really, how much the weigh? Get up over, way over 200 pounds. You know, these things That's are the size huge. of a mini horse. Yeah, and they're big, f- huge, furry dogs. I mean, because mm-hmm. they, they're obviously. So, what's Tibetan. so special about them? Like, why would anybody pay that much money for a Tibetan Mastiff? I mean, it sounds pretty, but. Well, I mean, first of all, it's prestige. You know, the guy obviously had oodles of money, so he could pay a million dollars for the dog, but it had very good dog breeding as well. So. Oh, okay. He just wanted to be popular. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> All right. Well, who can blame him, right? right? Dogs are a great way to make friends and, you know, do stuff with other people. Right. All right. So analysis of the lung microbiotica, uh, micro, how do you say it? Biota. Microbiota. Biota mm-hmm. in dogs with Bordetella bronchoseptica infection. Okay. So this is a veterinary research study. And um, it was done, uh, obviously, in some school in France. And these, I, they didn't list the school, sorry, and I can't pronounce all these names, but um, <laughs> so I feel stupid right now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so nothing scares people more or gives like a kennel, a daycare, anybody a worse, you know, reputation or a worse hit than getting a case of kennel cough that's within an environment. So mm-hmm. most kennel cough um, vaccines in most most of these kinds of places where there's a community of dogs require that you end up going about every six months to get a kennel cough vaccination. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are oral. You can get injectable vaccines as well. I think most people probably are working with oral vaccines at this point. Right. Okay. So first of all, let's, let's break this down. When you're going to get a kennel cough vaccine, so we'll, we'll have people call and they'll want it like, I need it right now so I can go over there like to the grooming appointment right now. So is it is there an immunity in that? How many days in advance are we talking that you need it? Well, it, an oral vaccine is almost immediately available, but it does take some time. So there is risk if you're just doing it at the last minute. If mm-hmm. it was previously vaccinated and had a little bit of protection already going, mm-hmm. you're probably fine. Um, the injectables are just as good as the orals in terms of quick protection. Uh, but yeah, there are risks, you know, especially if it's the first time they had Bordetella and you just get the Bordetella vaccine, go right into it. Um, there's some chance that they could still get kennel cough and, and it's that way anyway, um, because just because you vaccinate doesn't mean they're a hundred percent protected because earlier when we talk about titers is how much protection did they actually get from the vaccine? Mm-hmm. So, um, and there's variables because- Isn't that like one of the reasons they were using an injectable vaccine for a while? Mm-hmm. Like, well, I think it's still available, obviously you can go get it, but some people thought that that, some veterinarians thought that was better for some reason. Yeah, they thought maybe that, um, you know, going more internal and letting the body respond to provided better protection than the mm-hmm. oral vaccination. But that's where the, most of the complex is attacking the upper respiratory tract. And then it can go deeper and become bronchitis or, or even uh, pneumonia. We used to do intranasal Bordetella. And that, I just thought that was like kind of actually painful, you know, to have to suck it up through their nose. Um, that never feels really very good, like into the sinuses and everything like that. And right. it just, it was always really messy. And you're always like worried, like, did they even get any of that? Because everybody right. can, every dog is going to try to sneeze. 
you know, or, right. or push it out or not want to absorb that into their nose. So I don't blame them there. We don't do that one anymore. We just do the oral here. Mm-hmm. So I don't know about the, I mean, I get why people don't want that because you can get a really bad reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's, I mean, it's kind of like, well, it does happen though. I mean, there is breakthrough sometimes, right? There is. And just be, the quote, kennel cough is not just Bordetella bronchoseptica. What is it? You know, it can be distemper. It can be uh, mycoplasma. You know, it can be parainfluenza. You know, there's, there's or other canine flu or the canine flu the yeah, virus that itself. a yeah. few years ago, the big canine flu in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And that's where it hit first. So. Right. So it, just because, uh, you know, you vaccinated doesn't necessarily mean there's protection because there's no vaccination against mycoplasma. Uh, mycoplasma is not a virus. It's not a bacteria. It doesn't have a cell wall. So it can go much deeper into the lower airways. And uh, when all those dogs were getting influenza uh, Chicago there a few years ago, uh, we did swab a lot of dogs and a lot of it came back as mycoplasma. I remember know. that um, actually. Yeah, that's right. And so it, it can cause just as much, the kennel complex is what I like to call it because they're of all those potential organisms. Now we're vaccinating for distemper and parainfluenza through the, uh, what we call distemper vaccination. Okay. okay? Um, proper titering would ensure that there's protection going into those situations because there again, it's lifestyle. So with the average dog that's home and just in the backyard, uh, needed uh, as much no but if we're going if we're boarding a lot if we're going to the indoor dog parks if we're going to the um, you know uh, grooming facilities mm-hmm. places like that that's a lifestyle change and you have to consider the extra protection there mm-hmm. but just because they're vaccinated there again doesn't mean that they can't get a cough after being in those facilities right. you know yeah. because let's face it it's there's stress uh, I always ask, you know, it, when you put your dog in the in the kennel at home, do they bark a lot? Because if they're in a kennel, barking a lot uh, at the kennel, they're going to get hoarse, mm-hmm. and then they're going to cough afterwards when they get home. Mm-hmm. You see, so there's a lot of variables to that. But uh, but we do. That's why you know kennels are so strict about vaccination, is that they don't want even a little cough going through there because then, you know. Uh, there's some yeah. quarantine time, so, there's some shutdown, stuff like that. Like we're starting a pool and a daycare here. So when dogs come in, I mean, there's no vaccine for mycoplasma. What do you do? I mean, is it contagious? Can you get it from dog to dog? Yeah, it, it, it's contagious like yeah. the, the common cold, you know. So um, there are some risks, you know. When, should, you, should kennels be having dogs tested for that before they go into a kennel situation? I don't think so. No. No. If they've had their their base core vaccination. What is mycoplasma anyway? Well, it's a little tiny organism. It's, as I mentioned, doesn't have a cell wall. So it's not a virus and not a bacteria. Okay. And uh, because it's so small, it's, and it doesn't have a cell wall, a lot of antibiotics don't work well against it. So (laughs) the one that works really well is doxycycline. Oh, okay. Um, So that's why doxycycline is used a lot for dogs who get coughs. So where do you pick that up? Uh, it can be anywhere. You know, it's just really? like a cold. You can get it on surfaces. You can get it nose to nose. The dogs But you can, never really get rid of it. Right. Dogs can carry it in their nasal passage. You oh, know. really? Oh. And so, um, you know, we don't see it a lot. There's not a lot of yeah. coughing dogs out there anymore because a lot of them are vaccinated. But, um, you know, just having a good, healthy pet 
is the best way to prevent the proper vaccination protocol, talking mm. about risk assessment with your veterinarian. Um, those are important things to consider when we're talking about vaccination. Okay. All right. Well, we have a real joy for you here today. Yeah, look at that. Thing. Okay. So yeah. if you're joining us, oh, you hold it. I'm done with it. <laughs> there it is. Okay. So we found <laughs> a cat that came in the other day and it had this thing on it. Here, let me put a little toward the camera. Okay. I don't want to drop it. Are you sure it's on there? Yeah. Okay. So this tumor is the size of a golf ball, roughly kind of deflated a little bit since we had it um and this was just sitting on a cat's forehead mm -hmm. and it's weird because you can see where you took it out and it's a very actually small and there it is right there it's maybe a half a dime size mm -hmm. um where you just kind of shaved it right off tell us about what this is because it looks like a spider cocoon or something right. Well, those are, those are considered polyps or adenomas, or they can, um, uh, basically a benign growth. It, it has, it's non-invasive because it has a, what they call a pedicle, which you see the size of the tumor and then the size of the hole is one-tenth the size of that growth. So when it has a pedicle, uh, typically it's like a nevus or just a, 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 like a very large skin tag. Okay. Oh, it's really? Full of kind of fatty material. And, um, you know, looks like it's full of a tarantula. Yeah. Looks like it could have a, a babies at any yeah. time, right? <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's big. <laughs> yeah. It's a good size item. Yeah. So, um, but the kitty did really well. You know, these, yeah. these sometimes come up. It you don't like see you it just shave often. it off. You don't have to go deep into the skin or anything to get that off. Right. For, for pedicles, you don't have to get that, that huge margin um, in very minimal sutures <laughs> are required. And some of them, uh, you know. What did you get, think when you actually just saw that? When said, you wow, saw that, was, that was huge because you just don't see them that big on it. You don't see them very much on a cat in, in, in general. And then you see one that one that yeah. big. Right on the forehead too. And they said it started off really small, like a, like a little small wart. And then it manifested Blue. into that. <laughs> okay. Over time, it did, yeah. this one didn't grow quickly. Uh -huh. um, but other tumors, you would see the, you know, where the tumor is actually embedded. So you would have a much larger, you'd have to get two to three centimeter margins around the tumor mm -hmm. uh, in order to make sure if it was cancer that you get all, get all of it out of there. But, uh, but most of the tumors are anchored in mm -hmm. and are going to be at least the width of the tumor. And sometimes if it's invasive, may have more tissue underneath. So if you didn't get to see it, we'll put it on our holistic vet advice page, right. um, our uh, group page, and then we'll put it on our Riverside page as well. So maybe we could have you like, I mean, it's a little gross, but I want to know what's inside there. So maybe you could like examine the tumor for us, do a little pathology, take a peek in there, see what actually looks like. Okay. Because a lot of people, I mean, the lumps and bumps business is pretty big. Yeah. Um, you get all sorts of you know, little lumps, big lumps, um, everything across the board on dogs and cats right now. A lot of people say that's due to vaccine. Is that true? Yeah, vaccines have a, a big underlying component uh, to some of the, especially the small little warts that we see on, on mm -hmm. the curly coated breeds. Uh, so vaccine can have a responsibility with that. Mm -hmm. Does it cause it necessarily? No, it immunosuppresses, it diverts the immune system to take care of the vaccine. And if there's something else that the immune system is working on at that time, 
that's suppressing other disease processes, then it can you know, start to start to happen. So Chorky started getting warts on her little body when her eye went really bad. Yeah. So she had her eye removed. But when her eye started to go down and, and just get really bad, like to the point of like, okay, we can't turn back. We've got mm-hmm. to take it out. That's when she started getting those little warts all over her little body. Yeah. And immunosuppressive means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Can that, fire them up, especially, right. and we don't see them in young, really young dogs uh, as much as we see them in the in dogs are really over seven years old. Okay. All right. So um, Jordan has a question. She said she'd like to hear your thoughts on dog food. Her puppy is six months old. You actually just neutered doggy yesterday. Um, he seems itchy to me sometimes. He's had one ear infection and he generally turns up his nose at his current food, which is Purina Pro Plan puppy chicken and rice. Pro Plan, good dog food. Um, she'd like to find a food that's best for him and that he loves. And yes, Jordan, we're starting a daycare. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, diet is probably the number one thing. Uh, when I think about diets, though, I often go back to the breeders if they're available to discuss what nutrition that they used, because I'm of the philosophy that whatever the genetics you know, if, if these pups were, were raised on pedigree and there are champion bloodlines that in, uh, in, in the world that only eat pedigree and do extremely well, if you tried to give them a different type of diet, a much better diet, they might not do as well on that diet. Uh, if, they were, if the parents were fed raw, the, pay, the pets may do better with raw foods. Uh, mm-hmm. If they, but when we go to switching over from a completely different food source, sometimes we're going to get a response. Now, scratching can mean many things, um, but at the same time, if we if we're going to use food, we want to start with the cleanest food possible, and that's the lowest amount of preservatives. Premium Pro Plan is a great diet, but it has some preservatives, right? So, if you want to take a step up for puppies, I would use a food called Farmina. Now, Firmina is non-GMO, very clean diet. Uh, it's almost like feeding raw because it is cold-pressed raw food. And so I would start there, and, and it takes time when we're working with diets to let that take effect because it takes a minimum of about three months, even up to a year, to see a difference with diet alone. Uh, if these pets are continuing to break out, we may have to treat them by other means than, than just diet. But I start with diet. A lot of people say chicken is the worst um, offender when it comes to food allergies. Is that true? It is um, mostly because chicken mostly is raised with antibiotics and growth uh, hormones. Okay. Um, if you can, which is difficult to know the source of where that protein came from. Right. Right. And there's, so, you know, yeah. like we asked one time, why don't you guys use more organic meat in your diets? And they said, it's just not there. It's not available yeah. in the country to be able to, to, right. to use. So, okay. Right, and if, if we went to completely. Uh, you have used, um, instead of chicken, you have used a pork-based diet, mm-hmm. and you really like that. I, I, like I, the, I think everybody who's been on the pork-based diet and then maybe goes to fish or something like that, mm-hmm. that one also I feel like has been really good. Yeah, fish diets are, you know, especially for skin and coat conditions, a little more neutral. Chicken, the food energy is warm to hot. Okay. So sometimes uh, if they're a... Augie was a nice little friendly little dude, uh, high energy. So maybe that's a little too hot a protein for him. Maybe he needs something a little more neutral. Oh, guess who's watching? Renee is watching right now. Hi. Hello, Renee. Um, She 
she sent you another message yesterday about her dog, Harry. So Harry um, is the cutest little Chinese crusted, but right here on his neck, he's been itching really, really bad. Mm -hmm. And you suggested some things. She wants a really holistic way of working with Harry. So when we look at skin issues, first of all, we have heat uh, and we have dampness. So initially what happens is that if we get heat in the body, it's going to create, it's going to dry out the, the moisture in the body and create a condition called phlegm in Chinese medicine. Okay. And that phlegm is then going to settle in a certain area and that's going to cause restriction, which can set off cytokines and, and chemokines, which are the itch factors. So then they start scratching and then obviously the scratching part is going to introduce more heat. So you get local inflammation and potential for local infection. Because it was so intense, we, we do want to consider more of a traditional approach if he keeps scratching at it, you know. But if I were to move over to something more holistically, first of all, is we want to clean, we just want to go to um, a fresh diet. So you make the food for him. Okay. Okay, it's three to one ratio really to meat versus uh, a vegetable source and then some good fat in it. So if I had to start, I'd say you know, like boiled beef, broccoli, a little bit of olive oil. Okay. And I only feed that and I don't give any treats or any chews or anything like that and make sure they're not vaccinated during this period of time. And that's the nutrition part. I love damp heat skin from, it's a Chinese herbal prescription. Um, and that reverses the, the dampness and the heat. So that's going to help reverse that. Okay. And um, I don't put any creams or topicals on that area because you're, you're basically the, the skin is like a lung. So you're going to trap in heat and inflammation. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to really put anything on that. We don't want to cover it. We don't want to wrap it. We don't want to put a, a sweater on or anything like that. Okay. Even be All careful right. of colors. All right. And then we'll uh, get back to you later today anyway with some more um, suggestions. Um, okay. So we talked a little bit earlier about how we'd be discussing ticks. How long do they stay embedded is a question that came to us from our holistic vet advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson page. And then, okay. So what do they look like in especially at this time of year, she had a question, uh, Kathleen did. So obviously she has a question about the, how long they stay embedded. Like she tried to remove one, the head didn't come out. And then she noticed something else on her dog and she doesn't know what it is. And when that happened to me, um, we had a white cat at the time, Cumulus, and he would come in the house like with these little spots. And I'm like, what is that? That's so weird. And it took me a while to realize those were baby ticks, mm -hmm. nymphs. Yep. Okay. Very small ticks. And that's what we're seeing mostly right They're now. They're so little. They look like a freckle right now. Yeah. So that could be something your pet is getting into. For sure. And then the, the thing about ticks is that, um, I guess the answer to the first question, how long do they stay on? Okay. Um, they're a female tick. The male ticks don't feed. So it's a female tick. She's getting a blood meal so she can grow and develop into her next stage. Um, and they'll stay on anywhere from one day up to a week, sometimes up to even two weeks feeding. Oh, really? You know, if they're not caught now, our domestic pets, we're going we're gonna to feel we're them by then. Them, yeah. But um, when we remove them, the, the biggest problem with removal isn't so much the head, mm -hmm. is that you're, you don't want to squeeze the body because then you're pushing the blood back into 
your pet. Oh, you are? So that's why you have to get close to the skin so you don't squeeze the body and push mm-hmm. that blood back in there because then you're going to you know, potentially put infection back into your dog or cat. Okay. How do you get that out, though? I mean, the head gets, it looks like it gets really, really deep in there. Yeah, and the, the head, it, technically a tick doesn't really have a head per se, but it's oh, mouth okay. parts. Okay. And those mouth parts are what they're embedding into the, the skin to feed. And so getting as close to the skin as possible. Now they have these little tick removing devices that basically look like a piece of metal with a, with a cut in it. So mm-hmm. you can get right close. Um, <laughs> we, someone tried that the other day and she had to bring it in anyway because she didn't know she got it out. But yeah. that's why we always just will do it for you because it's right. just easier. Right. And then you can use a hemostat like this or tweezers. Um, in a pinch, you could use your fingers. But there again, they have to be you can you shouldn't use the finger as much as the fingernails because sometimes you can squeeze um you know, unfortunately, squeeze the the blood back into the pet, and that's what we don't that. want. Yeah, I didn't know you could do that. So say say you still see. I'm going to call it the head. So okay. say you still you left see the head in there, some piece in there, right? Is that all you have to do is treat it because eventually it it won't come out through the surface as okay. a, with a scab. You know, what do you do? Put alcohol in it or something? Like um, that? I, I like to treat them with peroxide. You put peroxide on them, and then you can put some neosporin or something like that. Nice topical on there. Oh, okay. Um, then six to eight weeks later, um, we want to consider blood testing them to see if they developed any titers against these things. Okay. Okay. If they did, then they were exposed. Um, right away after tick exposure, um, you can consider a, a, a precautionary dose of doxycycline. Okay. A lot of owners don't want to do that because there's some side effects of doxycycline. Um, but you know, just in case those pets got exposed or lickia or Rocky Mountain spotted fever, at least we want to test them in, in mm-hmm. six to eight weeks. Can the county health department tell you what, do they tell you what kind of tick it is or mm-hmm. that it has a tick-borne illness? Um, they'll tell you what kind of tick it is. Okay. You know, right. so if they said, well, it's a deer tick. Can then, you send out the tick? Yeah, we can. We you can, can send it we out. We can send too. it over to them. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then uh, our last question today that we have time for is from Amanda. And she wants to know if she can use carrots, raw carrots, to deworm her pet. There's no, uh, the, the problem with that is that um, we don't know how much, how many carrots for how long. Uh, so a natural deworming, um, if you had to use anything at all using pumpkin, especially ground pumpkin seeds okay, uh, in the food, it could help scrape parasites away. But, but for me, but would uh, you really want that? <laughs> it, no, not really because they're worms. If, first of all, I need warm them with the more traditional products. Just get rid of the worms because uh, parasites rob the body of nutrition. It, reduces the, the immune response, especially as puppies. Uh, in the case of hookworms, unfortunately, it can, it, they can lead to parvo-like symptoms, very severe bloody diarrhea and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, Those so, are not easy to get rid of either. No. Yeah, I don't think carrots would do the trick on something like that. No, so I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't try that. But I suppose if after you were clean and you wanted to start trying something, that would work out pretty good yeah, too. Yeah, that's good preventive Yeah, you know, versus... We'll put more on on this on our Holistic Vet Advice group, okay? Have a great day, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank 
you for listening this week to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson again next Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now go make some time with your best friend.